So yeah, so this morning, uh, just as Chris said, we are going to be looking at the book of 3 John. And, uh, and last week we looked at 2 John, so if you happen to have marked in your Bible where we were last week, we're very likely on the exact same page, because they're both so small that uh, they, okay, they can fit on one page of the Bible. And so, um, so we're going to be looking at this, and we're going to be continuing our series uh, entitled Lowercase Letters. One of the things that I enjoy about this, and specifically that we're going to look at today in 3 John, is, is the reality that the Bible gives us examples that we, can, that we can look to and we can learn from. And so, um, you know, being the youngest of three, I get this. Um, some of you have more older siblings than that. Some of you have more younger siblings that look at you, for better or worse. And, uh, you know, as a, as a youngest sibling, I was able to look and watch as my brother and sister made my parents furious. And uh, I could kind of sit back and say, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, likewise, I could see things that they did that made my parents very proud. And I was able to hopefully emulate some of those things. Um, and in so doing, also be able to make, uh, make my siblings proud in that as well. And, uh, but there's this, there's this opportunity that you have when you come after someone, to be able to watch and learn from their examples um, and be able to not have to learn things yourself the hard way. I, you can watch other people learn things the hard way and kind of uh, be able to learn, learn from that. So one of the great things about the Old Testament is you get all these little glimpses of the heart of God. And often it, it portrays itself in the way that he blesses or uh, removes his blessing from his people, from the nation of Israel. That when they did something that made him really happy, he just blessed them immensely. And when they did something that uh, made him very angry, if you ever read through the prophets, um, there's some stuff in there where it's like, you know, why is, man, God just seems really angry. Well, they've, they've broken their, pro- their promise. They failed to uphold their end of the agreement. There's, there's lots of things where we can get this glimpse into the heart of what the Father cares about by seeing what makes him really happy and seeing what makes him really angry, just as with our earthly fathers, uh, especially if you're a younger child, you watch your older siblings and say, oh, that makes dad really mad. I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> and uh, and we, can, we can look at the example of others, we can learn from it, and hopefully not repeat those same mistakes. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at 3 John. And one of the things that I love about 3 John is it's not full of all these new ideas and new concepts. Okay, um, One of the big themes that we're going to see in 3 John is one that we touched on last week in this hospitality. Okay, uh, But it puts some flesh and bones into the conversation. There are real people making real mistakes. There are real people doing things that are um, really good. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, is writing this letter, and he's going to um, he's going to commend a guy, he's going to kind of condemn a guy, and then he's going to recommend a guy. So um, let's dive into this here. Uh, we're going to read through the whole book. This is how we're going to do this. We're going to read through the whole book, then we're going to kind of sweep through and break it down as we go, and then we'll we'll talk through kind of the major the major points here in Third John. And so, if you will, uh, if you'll read this with me, here we go. The elder, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, 
And um, as we jump in, he's going to refer to this man Gaius as, as beloved. Okay? Um, many translations actually will just call it dear friend, even though beloved is technically a more accurate translation uh, word-wise. Word uh, but dear friend probably gets the meaning across a little bit better. Um, I know scripturally, when I think beloved, I think song of songs, the I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. This isn't a love a love note in that way. Um, it's more of uh, when, you, when you think about what Jesus said about love, that greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And it's more that idea of love, that this is a man that, that John is saying, I would die for you. You are that good of a friend to me. So the elder, to the dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth, Dear friend, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the truth or before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up whatever he's doing and talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also had our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So if you're the kind of person who uh, has their Bible reading uh, on a list, you can check off, read a book of the Bible today. Uh, so we have accomplished that together um, as, uh, as brief as it happened to be. And so uh, let's, let's break this down by the people that we see here. So first, the first person introduced is the elder, okay, who we know um, historically, it's attested well that this is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, the one who, um, who wrote the book of John and wrote First and Second John as well. Third John here is written by John the Elder. And he finishes his letter by basically saying, can't wait to see you. I have so much to talk to you about. So if he's got all this to talk to him about, why in the world did he write a letter? Why didn't he just go to him? Couldn't this have waited until he got there? Well, it doesn't seem so. Apparently the contents of this letter couldn't wait. This topic of, of hospitality that we discussed last week was urgently important. Something worth spending the pen and ink on. And so, so John kind of just jumps in and he gives him this, this blessing and then, and then he moves on. But I, I want to stop for a second on this blessing just because I think it's a really cool, uh, really cool prayer uh, that I guess if, if Gaius had been a dirtball, this could have been a really uh, mean thing to say to him. Uh, but since he's apparently this really great guy, us, uh, he, uh, he says this, he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be 
in health as it goes well with your soul. That basically the same way that your soul is doing well, I hope your whole body is doing well like that. I hope that your health matches the health of your soul because you are doing great. I think that's such a cool and meaningful way for him to, to offer that blessing and that word of encouragement. And even as he offers prayers for him, it's a really, um, really profound way to do that. And so then we, we, we meet this, this guy, Gaius. He's a dear friend. Apparently, he's this great, this great guy. His soul is healthy and good. He's receiving these great reports from the traveling missionaries that had come to John. This gives John the greatest joy. He says, I rejoiced greatly when they testified to your truth. Indeed, you are walking in the truth. And another translation that I really like, I really like the word exceedingly. I rejoiced exceedingly. I thought that was kind of a neat, uh, neat way to put that. I rejoiced exceedingly when they told me that you're walking in the truth. Because the reality is, reality is many of us, we know the truth, right? But often the truth stays up here. The truth doesn't always make it into our hands, into our feet, into the places we go, into the way that we serve, into the people that we interact with. And so he says, look, I've heard you're walking in the truth. And he even says in verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. This is it. This is the thing that makes me rejoice more than anything else is to hear that you're doing, you're doing this stuff right. Gaius is commended for showing these, um, these brothers and strangers hospitality. Even though you didn't know them when they came to you, you knew they were brothers and so you welcomed them. You showed them hospitality. He's commended for that. But he doesn't stop there. John actually gives him another instruction here. He says, you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That next time someone comes to you, don't just receive them well, send them off well. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was, uh, I was in Boy Scouts, and one of the, one of the things that we were kind of drilled, was kind of drilled into us as, as Scouts was, was the idea that when you, when you leave a place, you leave it better than you found it. Uh, Chris was telling me that there's, uh, that I guess uh, the World Cup has just ended. I know many in America don't even know what happens, but it's soccer, okay? The soccer World Cup has happened. We weren't in it, okay? But um, one of the teams that was in it was Japan, and, he, and Chris was showing me these pictures of, of uh, the aftermath of Japan, which I say aftermath to kind of throw you off a little bit. The reality was their locker room was spotless after they, even after they lost, their locker room was perfectly clean. Apparently the stands, when the Japanese fans were done with them, they were spotless, which means probably someone was missing a paycheck because they didn't get to clean up. Um, but, but they left everything that was perfectly spotless, this, and they left it better than they found it. And I think that's kind of this encouragement that John is giving to Gaius as he's saying, look, send them on, a journey, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Don't just receive them well, send them off well. Don't just show them hospitality when they're here, but prepare them well so that when they get to the next place, when they get to their next stop on the journey, they get, they get there and are received with, wow, you seem to be doing really well. You don't even seem like you've been on a journey. Man, who sent you? This is great. You're, you're in good shape. Okay, and so send them on, a, on their journey in a manner worthy of God is this encouragement that John gives to him. Uh, because these men weren't just, um, weren't just anybody, they were people who had gone out for the sake of the name. They had, basically, they had left home for the sake of the name of Jesus. And Gaius is one who um, was serving Jesus where he was. And it was, it's really neat that um, 
that John goes on to say, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And so Gaius was getting to, to partner with these guys and, and be able to be a part of their ministries, not just while he was there visiting, not just while these brothers were there visiting, but at, when they went off from there, Gaius's continued support for them was allowing him to be a fellow worker for the truth. That what they were doing when they were far away from Gaius, he had a piece of that. He had a part in that because of the way that he had supported them. That's one of the things I, I really enjoy um, about this church. I feel like we're a very generous church. Uh, our, we'll talk more about that tonight at 5.30 at the congregational meeting. Uh, but going through the budget stuff, there's a good chunk of our budget that goes to people in places that aren't here. I think that's really neat. Because as a church, um, when, when those plates passed by you earlier, if you, put, if you put money in it, you're a fellow worker for the truth with people like Philip Ho, who's in India. People like the, the ones in, that uh, run Life of Hope in Guatemala. People like Ted and Beverly Skiles in Taiwan. If you give online, okay, that's what I do because to be honest, I'm really bad about remembering a check, okay? I, don't write checks for much of anything anymore. And so I do my giving online uh, because otherwise I forget. And then that's that awkward, like, since I work here, it's the awkward on Tuesday, I come to Loretta, here's my offering check that I forgot on Sunday. So anyway, so I, I, we do all that online now. But, um, but if you give online, you're partnering with, with those people and, and we're, all, we're all partnering with people like, like Central Christian College of the Bible and Ozark Christian College who are training leaders for, for the next generation of the church. Like Camp McComey, where many of our kids go and learn about Jesus. Many kids come there and learn about Jesus and make a decision for Christ for the first time. We're supporting all these different places. And, and if, even if you've never been to a single one of them, your generosity is really an extension of hospitality. It's the point where we get to be fellow workers for the truth with all these great people and organizations throughout the world, whether or not we ever meet them this side of heaven. And that's really neat. This is allowing us, just like it was allowing Gaius then, to extend our reach in the work of the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, Gaius isn't the only one mentioned here. We get to a guy named Diotrephes, which uh, is not a real, uh, not a real common name uh, now or in Bible times. Okay, Gaius was about as common as it gets. Diotrephes was uh, was pretty rare. It's mostly found among, among the very, very wealthy. Kind of like a, I don't know, I guess I've never met a Maximilian, but I always feel like that's kind of a, a name of someone with lots of money. I don't know, maybe it's because the million part of that. But, um, but he says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. There's a pretty big red flag when in the Bible someone likes to put themselves first. Okay? Nothing good comes after that. Nothing good comes from putting yourself first. Now, our society likes to put ourselves first. Uh, you know, we even say, how can you love others if you don't love yourself first? And we, we say all these things, and there's these ideas that we have to, um, we have to put ourselves first. We have to look out for number one. And, and in reality, in, in the Bible, Jesus came and flipped that on his head. He says, those who are first, they're last. Those who are last will be first. And he says, whoever puts himself at a seat of, of, uh, of honor at a table, they're going to get kicked down to the bottom of it. They're going to get kicked out of that seat. Because God's the one who gets to put people first or last. 
And Diotrephes is liking to put himself first. He's not only doing that, he's not acknowledging the authority of John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, which seems crazy to me that you wouldn't want to listen to one of Jesus' best friends, but when you like to put yourself first, you might feel threatened by that sort of authority. And so John says, look, I'm going to come, I'm going to bring this up, because the reality is he's not content with just ignoring us. There's something bigger at stake here. On top of that, he's, he's refusing to welcome, to welcome the brothers. So what Gaius is commended for, um, Diotrephes is being condemned for. Gaius, you did a really great job welcoming these brothers. Diotrephes, not so much. He refused to welcome the brothers. And to take it up in another notch, he stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. What a terrible attitude. He's not only leaving the mission undone himself, but he's hindering it in others. He's keeping others from doing the things that God wants them to do. And this is a really pretty good example of, of social pressure, where someone who, um, it, it doesn't say that Diotrephes is actually in a, in a position of authority or leadership in the church, although it's likely that he was, um, that he might have been the host of the church because churches met in homes, and uh, Diotrephes being likely a, a person who was well off financially would have had the means to host the church. He would have had some, uh, some pull socially. Whether or not he had uh, positional authority, he would have had some social authority going on there. And so uh, we see this, we see this today. You know, not so much that people are going to get kicked out of the church um, because no one, um, no one lives here. <laughs> Uh, so it's not somebody's home that they can just kick somebody out of. Okay, no one's going to get kicked out of the church in that regard. Um, but ours looks a little bit different. Often it, it just, it's just sarcasm a lot of the time that, that, can, that can mess with people. You know, and social pressure is the reason that, that many of us attend a, a certain event or a certain restaurant Hopefully I won't get anything thrown at me by making this suggestion, but there might possibly perhaps be people who don't like going to Friday night football games in Eldon. Um, so there might be people in Eldon who don't like football that still attend the football games, that don't like even just the game itself. They don't like it at all, and yet they go to the games. And why do they go to the games? Because everyone else is there. Okay, there are probably people, none of them have openly confessed it to me, but there are probably people in Eldon that don't like going to the games, and probably in all sorts of small towns that, um, that go to the games, or large towns for that matter, that go to the games because there's a social expectation to be there, not that they actually really enjoy the sport. There's this social pressure that comes into play, and even in church that can come into play sometimes, where, um, where there's, this, there's this social pressure at work where uh, we, we might hear things like, what are you, some sort of super Christian? You're making the rest of us look bad. You know, you don't have to go every week to church. You can skip a week, it's okay. You know, you don't have to sing every song. You can just stand there with your arms folded and look at Michael funny, like... <laughs> Um, not that anyone does that, but, you know, um, just hypothetically speaking here. Um, but, but, you know, we can, we can make these kind of, these sideways remarks at people, and, and it gets people thinking like, oh, 
am I the only one singing every song? Is that a, am I like, am I the weirdo here? Am I doing this wrong? Like, do other people not, do people skip church? What? Like, and there's this like, I don't know, and obviously, you know, it's okay to be gone every once in a while, you know, but, uh, but the reality is, is that this, uh, sorry, I don't, anyway. Uh, so the reality is, though, is that instead of encouraging that and saying, man, I'm so impressed that you make a concerted effort to be there every single week, that even when, um, even when your voice hurts, you're still singing every single song. Even if it's a new song and Michael picked a really lame one, you know what, you're still singing it. You're still really fully engaged in, in worshiping our God. I'm, I'm so impressed with that. I wish I could do that. Instead of that, often what's ha- what happens is these sideways comments of, well, I kind of, it makes me feel a little guilty, and so I'm going to make fun of you for doing the right thing. That happens in church circles, it happens in schools, it happens in workplaces, it happens in all these different areas. Diotrephes is a little more direct. We're more indirect in the way that we do that in our culture. Um, Diotrephes was, was literally putting people out of the church, or at least attempting to, because he was in a position of power. And John writes and says, Dear friend, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Literally, the construction there in the Greek is stop imitating evil, which is interesting when we think about, you know, what did we read about Gaius? He's doing great. What do you mean stop imitating evil like he's imitating him somehow? Uh, But it it seems like there was some influence of diatrophies that has started to creep into Gaius's life. And we, we know this, when you're around someone, even if you know that their attitude, that the, the intentions of their heart are utterly ridiculous, their influence can still find a way in. You catch yourself saying things like, well, I would, I would befriend that person, but I know I'm going to hear about it from them. Or, or I would go do this thing, but oh, I know they're going to make fun of me for it. So, And there's these things that are the right things to do, and yet sometimes they go undone because we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to get made fun of for it. So we stop doing the things that we ought to do. Their influence finds a way to creep in. And so John says to to Gaius, imitate what is good. Stop imitating evil, imitate what is good. And we have this really concrete example of the evil we shouldn't imitate, or that John is telling Gaius not to imitate in, in Diotrephes. But what about good? Well, John doesn't leave us without... Um, an example of that. There's one more person mentioned in this letter. His name is Demetrius. Demetrius reminds me of the movie Shrek. Okay, because in Shrek, there's this awesome scene, one of, uh, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies, but this scene is just great to me. Okay, so there's this scene where, um, where Shrek says, ogres are like onions, right? And, And Donkey's response is, what, they stink? And, he says, yeah, well, no, but um, he says, ogres are like onions because they have layers. And Donkey replies, well, not everybody likes onions. So he says, cakes, everybody loves cakes. And he says, no, ogres are like onions. And then there's this pause, and then probably my favorite section of lines in a movie here, I shouldn't say that, but pretty good one here. You know what else everybody likes? Parfaits. You ever met a person, you say, hey, let's go get some parfaits. They say, no, I don't like no parfaits. Parfaits are delicious. Parfaits may be the most delicious thing on the whole planet. And there's this, 
this thing about parfaits that he goes into, and I, and I think of people when they're described like Demetrius is described. He's received a good testimony from everyone. Man, Demetrius is a parfait. You ever met anybody where you say, hey, let's go hang out with Demetrius? And they say, no, I don't like no Demetrius. No. Demetrius is great. He's the best. He's a great guy. Everybody loves this guy. And probably we've all been around him. We've probably also all been around um, some diatrophies. Diotrophies. Um, um, but <laughs> we've probably all been around a guy like Diotrephes, but we've also probably all been around people like Demetrius, where unlike Diotrephes, where you can't get away fast enough because they're too busy talking about themselves and how great they are, um, Demetrius is the kind of person that you just love to be around. They're encouraging, they're helpful, they build you up. You just always feel good after you've left somebody like Demetrius. He's a parfait kind of guy. And his life, not only that, but his life matches up with the teaching of the apostles. So he says that he's received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. That when you look at scripture, when you look at the Old and New Testament, Demetrius is a great example of the kind of person you should be if you're following after that. Uh, he even has the approval of John and whoever else is with him. Demetrius is... A great guy. And we have, we've all been around people like that. And um, you know, the thing, is, thing about it is, though, is we, we shouldn't pretend that Demetrius never sinned. Okay? Um, obviously, as a Christian, the goal is to, to stop. That should be at least a goal, is to stop sinning. Okay? Um, and Demetrius is pointed to as an example, not because he's never sinned, um, but that even in that, that he receives a good testimony from the truth itself. Meaning that even, in, even when he sins, even when he goes against the truth, he has a response that is in line with the truth, which is repentance, which is forgiveness, which is all these, all these responses that are really, really difficult, like confession. That's the kind of response that you could have expected from a person like, like Demetrius. And so he would have been um, the kind of person to imitate. And so John writes and says, stop imitating Diotrephes. Nobody even likes this guy. Imitate Demetrius. This is a man worth imitating. Be like him. And so to wrap up here, what are the main things that we can glean from this, this letter? First thing is this, there's an urgency to the company that we keep. The kind of people that you put yourself around is an urgent matter. It was urgent enough for John to write this very brief letter where he had all these other things he wanted to say. This is the one thing that was important enough that he sent it off. To say, watch out, stop imitating this guy, instead imitate Demetrius. There's an urgency to it. It seemed that John was concerned that this influence in Gaius' life had already begun to take root. And once someone or something has influence in your life, the trajectory of your life can change very quickly. Even, unfortunately, the, the example here is even someone in the church who is actively against the work of the kingdom of God. So the question here is, what kind of company are you keeping who are the influences in your life? I think it's important to note that Jesus spent loads of time with really sketchy people. 
Okay, like he spent lots of time with, with tax collectors, prostitutes, all these people who fall under the general category of sinner. Okay, Jesus spent lots and lots of time with them. However, his best friends, the people who had influence in his life, were for the most part on the same page. They wanted to see the mission of God fulfilled and moved forward in Jesus. So what kind of company are you keeping? Who's influencing your life? The next thing is, is support missionaries. Okay, this is an important thing that he, he lays out here, that in, the hospi- in hospitality, uh, that we are able to, to lend support, um, both through hospitality and through financial means, to those who have left home for the sake of the name of Jesus. And we are able to extend our kingdom reach in that way. And John says, Do it. Extend your kingdom reach. Don't be content with only doing things right where you are, but have a reach outside of that too. Of course, continue in the good work that you're doing where you are. But expand it. Expand the gospel's reach. The third thing is this. Don't hinder others from doing kingdom work. If you are actively trying to prevent people from doing something that would further the kingdom of God, stop it. Stop it yesterday, okay? Stop it. It's not okay. Even if you're just simply making fun of people for living how God would want them to, stop it. Encourage behavior that is in line with the truth of God's word. Don't make fun of it. Don't discourage it. We should encourage the things that way. Encouragement is one of the the marks that we see in the New Testament, where people are encouraging one another and building one another up. There's enough discouragement out of here. There's enough discouragement from people who aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage one another. Don't hinder others from doing kingdom work. The last thing here is personally be an example worth following. Be a Demetrius kind of person. Where others, if, if someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, I really want to be more like Jesus, that I can point to and say, hey, follow that person. I want to grow in my faith. Follow him. I want to be a better Christian. Follow her. Okay? That we can point to people and say, hey, follow that example. That's the kind of person you want to be. Be a Demetrius. Okay? Not, that, not, that everyone, not that you have to be a people pleaser where everyone just, you know, is, is just, oh, they're doing everything right all the time. But even when you do something wrong, people will give you the benefit of the doubt. Say, well, I'm sure they're doing what they feel like is best. I'm sure that's probably, I'm probably missing something because I know they wouldn't do something hurtful like that. Be an example worth following. I think that really encompasses the other three. That when we're, when we're keeping good company, when we're supporting those who are doing the work of God. When we, are, when we are not hindering others from doing kingdom work but encouraging them, that's an example worth following. That's the kind of person that we can point to and say, hey, that's the way to do it. Good job. Others, hey, look at this. Be like that person. Be an example worth following. Can you imagine the kind of church we could be if every single person was striving to be an example worth following. I think we got a pretty great church as it is. But can you imagine if we all took that call seriously to be an example worth following, to have an example you are following, 
Someone like a, like a Demetrius that you look at and you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be like that person as they're trying to be like Jesus. And being, taking on that responsibility of being an example yourself. Because just like, um, just like with my brother and sister, you're an example to somebody. Whether you like it or not, you're an example to somebody. So be an example worth following. There are people looking to you at how they're going to live their life, at how they're going to take the next steps in life. Be an example worth following. I think if we all strive after that, watch out, world. The kingdom of God's coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.